I feel like you got in touch with your roots right there. Uh, you didn't need the words for that one. You hear you singing the refrain on it as well, even though it's not on the screen, but you remember it from the hymn book, don't you? Uh, <clears throat> I want to I wanna close out our This Is Us series this morning. I want to talk about the heart of Cornerstone, something that defines us. It's going to be something I think that will help clear up maybe a few inward struggles you have reading your Bible and understanding uh, uh, what our position is on lists of rules. And uh, I'm often asked about what's the church's rule on this and what's the church's rule on that. And, and uh, that, that's normal and I'm not criticizing that in any way. Uh, I appreciate that people would want to come in and be a part of the congregation, know what our positions are. We have literally dozen people or so up in starting point in the next, either this morning, uh, first service or in the second service today, just learning more about Cornerstone, preparing to take the next step of membership, and I appreciate that. Uh, we're not a rule-based congregation, we're a love-based congregation, and I, and I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. Let, let me ease into it with my, come from my own position for a moment, let me talk about myself, and I'll get to you in just, just one second. Growing up in a Christian home and in a church environment, I've always been taught to read my Bible. <laughs> I mean, there's old Stephanie, a missionary's kid sitting right there. She's always known she should read her Bible. I mean, her kids have always known <laughs> that, that that was an expectation. And if you want to hear from God, by the way, God wants to talk to you. If you didn't know that, God wants to talk to you. And the way he does is through his word and through his spirit and, and the spirit the Holy Spirit that's in you, you got it, salvation, wants the Word of God coming into your life so the Holy Spirit can take the Word of God and help transform your life and help you grow. And since I grew up in a Christian home, I've known always that God wanted to speak to me and I needed to get daily in the Word so that that, that could happen. As I've developed on my spiritual journey to maturity and obviously adulthood and parenting and, and, and generational Christianity. So I've developed in my spiritual journey, one of the things as I look back on my journey that was difficult for me to understand was the conflict I read about in the Old Testament. As I was reading the Old Testament, I see conflict and conquest and violence and polygamy and ethnic cleansing and warfare and rules upon rules heaped upon rules. Does anybody notice that? And so sometimes, like happened just about last year, a woman comes to Christ in her middle ages and one of her first questions is, I'm reading my Bible so God's okay with polygamy because more than half of the volume of the pages is Old Testament. And they all got multiple wives. So God's okay with polygamy. He started that, right? Do you see how that could be confusing? Yeah, I can see that. And it's going to be one of your struggles. It's been one of my struggles. And so let me see if I can clarify that. If you're being discipled here at Cornerstone, then you're being taught that you should read your Bible daily. Amen? I mean, for, there's 200 adults in discipleship right now, plus teenagers, and everyone who's in discipleship being taught that unless you establish a relationship with God daily, the transformation and the growth is not going to happen. We can go through all the workbooks and pile them high as a mountain, but you're not going to be transformed by filling in answers in a workbook. You've have a relationship with Christ. I'm the vine, you're the branches, except you abide in me, shall bear no fruit. You've got to establish that 
a flowing relationship from Christ to you, which happens daily through prayer and in the Word and listening to the, to, to the Holy Spirit speaking to you. So if you're being discipled here at Cornerstone, we've been teaching you, you need to be in the Word daily. But did we fail to mention to you that all the passages in the Bible may not be equally applicable to you? Has anyone ever told you that? I'm telling you that because not all the passages in the Bible are equally applicable to you. Now, let me be careful because some of you are tensing right now. The New Testament says this, 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture has been breathed out by God, inspired, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for, for training, and righteousness. Let me summarize. All Scripture is profitable. Even in those passages that are really hard in the Old Testament where crazy things are happening and behaviors you would not want to repeat, you're learning things, you're seeing things. And let me tell you, in blanket fashion from 35,000 feet, one of the greatest truths you'll learn from the Old Testament is what God is like. <laughs> what God is like and how God thinks. And you learn about God and that's why it's profitable. So all Scripture is profitable. There's something to be learned from every verse in your Bible, but not all Scripture is equally applicable to the life you're living in, in 2019. Does that make sense? I'll illustrate so you won't be so tense. At some point, now let me temper it with balance here. At some point, Christian, every one of you need to read the Bible all the way through. Can we agree on that? At some point, every Christian needs to start in Genesis and read through the whole thing to the book of Revelation and just, you know what I'm saying again, from 35,000 feet, see all that God has done and all that God is going to do, book of Revelation, to culminate this in Jesus reigning as King of kings and Lord of lords over all. Does that make sense? You'll see the whole big picture. Read it through at some point. But at Cornerstone, we start our disciples reading in the New Testament. And there are many reasons why we do that. One, because the New Testament's easier to understand. Because the New Testament is only 2,000 years removed from you, not 4,000 years removed from you. If you think a lot's changed in 2,000 years, a whole lot's changed in four or 5,000 years. Does that make sense? So it's easier for you to understand. It's more applicable to you. It is the portion, the New Testament is the portion of Scripture that explains, details, and outlines the New Covenant. The words New Testament and New Covenant are the exact same words. They're the same thing. So when you're reading the New Testament, you're reading about the Old Covenant, book of Hebrews says, is obsolete and has passed away. And I bring to you a new covenant in my own blood, Jesus said. That's the New Testament. And the reason we start believers in the New Testament is because the New Testament explains the agreement between God and us on how we attain salvation, how we find forgiveness, how we are accepted and adopted into the family of God, and how we are to get on Christ's mission. Now, one of the things you'll struggle with when you read all the way through your Bible is that the people in the Old Testament were living under the Old Covenant. And the people who lived under the Old Covenant that you'll read about in the New Testament 
often acted very unchrist-like. Let me be very clear what I'm saying. Many of the behaviors you'll read about in the Old Testament, we find absolutely abhorrent today. When Joshua went into the promised land, he was told, you go in and kill every man, every woman, every child, every beast. You, the, the blood of the, is, is going to just run into the ground. Kill men. Went, that's ethnic cleansing. That's the word. We find that absolutely repulsive and abhorrent today. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now listen to my statement. Many of the behaviors of the Old Testament should not be repeated today. We find those behaviors absolutely abhorrent and repulsive. A woman was not protected by uh, the man in her life. Not sure what their relationship was exactly. But she was taken in a city and she was sexually abused all night until the breaking of the dawn. When he opened the door, she was lying curled up on the doormat in front of his house. He took the woman and he chopped her into 12 different pieces and sent her to the 12 tribes of Israel and said, this is what our, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, I don't need to go through the whole Old Testament to make my point. Behavior, that's in the book of Judges. The behaviors in the Old Testament should never be repeated. Many of them. They're abhorrent to us. It's a different era. It's a different covenant. And so as you're maybe a new Christian or you're coming into Cornerstone and being discipled, here's what we need to tell you. A reader of Holy Scripture needs to have a basic understanding that the Old Testament represents a bygone era. While the moral principles of the Old Testament still stand. Say amen right there. Thou shalt not kill, still a good rule? Don't commit adultery, still a good rule? Yeah, sure, those are still good rules. Honor your father and mother, is that still a good rule? Sure, respect your parents. Now listen, while the moral principles of the Old Testament still stand, much of the activity of the Old Testament should never again be repeated. Now let me just give you one quick example that we can all find some common ground on. You and I will never bind the legs of a sacrificial lamb, will we? We'll never throw that bound lamb up onto our shoulders and carry it down to, to the church on Sunday so that we can cut the throat of that lamb and pour the blood out as a sacrifice upon the altar. You and I will never do that. Why? Because Jesus, the Lamb of God, was sacrificed 2,000 years ago and brought you and I into a new covenant through the blood of the real Lamb of God. Amen? So that behavior of bringing the sacrifice and killing it and all of that stuff doesn't apply to you. All Scripture is profitable. There's something to be learned. You know what you would learn from that Scripture? That a sacrifice was required. That's what you would learn. You learn about God. He demands a sacrifice to, in order to appease that righteousness. So you learn something. It's valuable, but it doesn't apply to you. It's not yet applicable because you live under the new covenant and what that lamb typified, Christ fulfilled. And so you're in a whole other ball game than the people in the Old Testament. Sometimes by generality, when we refer to the Old Testament, we say the law. Does that make sense? 
I'm just helping everybody now with some terminology, and it, it's not exactly accurate to use that term, but it's what, it's what Christians have always done. And sometimes we'll say, well, the law says, and we're referring to the Old Testament. So if you're a new believer and you hear someone say the law, we're not talking about the, the unified code of the United States. We're talking about the Old Testament uh, c- commands from Moses and then the commands coming forward that they added to, to the commands of Moses. So the people of the Old Testament, they had lots of rules to follow. Lots of rules. I'm going to just show you a passage. Moses wrote this passage in Deuteronomy chapter number 11 as they're coming into the, to the promised land, getting ready to, to go in. Look at what Moses said. For you to cross the Jordan, to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord God has now given you. And when you possess the land and you live in it, next verse, you shall be careful to do all the statutes and all the rules that I am setting before you today. So what happened is they were delivered sets of rules and they said when you go into the land you got to obey the rules. God do the rules. Now this is Old Testament, lots of rules, got to obey the rules. Now we misunderstand much of this because we are so many 4,000 years removed or what, you know, from this event. Our world is different. We're a Western world. It's a, it's a God-based law we have, have based on the Ten Commandments here in America. It's a God-based culture. We are a God-founded country. I mean, you get all that even though they say otherwise today. You know it's, it, it absolutely was, it's absolutely different than any other nation in the world. It was not that way when the children of Israel came into the Promised Land. They came out of Egypt, an idolatrous country marched for 40 years through idolatrous countries on every side and entered into Canaan, which was an idolatrous country, to conquer it and occupy it as their homeland. The common denominator is everybody all around them all the time served all kinds of other idols. And what sometimes we miss is many of the rules that were given to Israel were preventative measures that God was giving to them to prevent them from drifting into the idolatry of their neighbors. So God said something like this, you can't eat what they eat. You see, they're Cajuns. They eat shrimp and gumbo and oysters and crawfish and and they eat all of that. And so I'm going to make a dietary law that says you can't eat any of that. Now just let your wheels spin for a minute. Why would God do that? God got something against oysters and catfish? No, God's got something against you being an idolater. So it's really hard to have fellowship with people because fellowship usually happens where? At the kitchen table. You know where my small group meets? At the kitchen table. <laughs> That's where we disciple on Sunday nights, at the kitchen table. And uh, so if God says, I'm going to put some barriers in place so the idolaters and you, you can't really share food, you see, see what he's doing. He's trying to keep them separate. So, so I know what you're doing. You're fast-forwarding and overlaying this onto your own life, and you're thinking, well, God wants me. No, not at all. You're under a new covenant. The exact opposite is true for you. God said you can eat anything, put the sinners at your table. Okay? No, another world in the new covenant. But in the old covenant... He said, I, I, here's, the, here's the dietary law. Here's the, here's the religious law. Here's what you can wear. You can't wear the same clothes they wear. You, you, I mean, there's all kinds of rules. You say, I don't understand about all of these rules. Here's why. The rules were put in place 
so that the Israelites could not live the lifestyle of all the people around them. Therefore, they could not build friendships and relationships and intermarry with the idolaters. Therefore, their grandchildren wouldn't grow up to be idolaters. And they would preserve the godly heritage from Deuteronomy 6. Teach your children, teach your grandchildren when you rise up, when you lie down. And they would perpetuate a worship of God. They had just come out of idolatry. They had just walked for 40 years through idolatry. And God said, we need some barriers because you're not strong enough. You're not strong enough to walk. A lifestyle without drifting into idolatry, the law is going to help you. So God made specific rules, but God made specific rules, A. And then B, the Jews made more rules on top of God's rules. Many, many more rules on top of God's rules. And here comes the problem. God made rules, and then man made rules, And the men who made the rules equated that their rules were just as important and valuable as God's rules. Now that's a problem. So what they said is our word is equal to God's word. And so all of this, God's rules plus our rules, became by the time of Jesus this mountain of rules that no one could possibly keep. And so what happened is when Jesus showed up, he always kept God's rules. Can I get a witness right there? Sinless son of God. But when Jesus was confronted with their rules, he broke them all the time. Drove the religious people crazy. Because they saw his lifestyle and they knew he was A plus over here. But when it came to their rules, he broke them right and left. And it made them absolutely insane. I'll give you one example. Just for sake of time. One day they're having a big dinner together and the Pharisees say, your disciples are eating with, why do your disciples eat with unwashed hands? That wasn't God's rule. There's no rule in the Old Testament, you've got to wash your hands before you eat lunch. But it was one of their rules. But they made their rule about washing your hands before eating equal to thou shalt not kill. You see what happened? And so they're sitting at dinner one day, and the Pharisees say to Jesus, here's Peter, James, why do your disciples eat with unwashed hands? They transgress the commandment. Jesus looked across the table and said, why do you eat lunch with an unwashed heart? Pass the salt. (laughs) Now, don't you know that drove them bananas? Drove them absolutely insane. So remember, Jesus kept the rules, God's. He just didn't keep their phony man-made rules. Now, this morning, what I want to do in the next 20 minutes is clear up any confusion you might have about Christ's heart for people and at the same time inform our guests and those listening around the world right now about Cornerstone's heart for our community. We're not a rules-based church. We're a church that's rooted and founded in the love of Jesus Christ. One of the greatest shifts between the Old Covenant to the New Covenant is the shift in emphasis from keeping rules to loving people the way that Christ loved people. Big shift from keeping rules to walking in the leadership of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul wrote an entire chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and he said, now faith, now abides faith, hope, and love. These are great attributes that are still in play right now. And the greatest of these is absolutely So if you want to know what a church is to be about, there's a lot of great things a church can do. But if we don't, if we're not founded in love, 
the whole summary of the Old Testament when Jesus was pressed on keeping the rules was love God and love your neighbor as yourself. You can summarize it all in that. It's, and Paul said, love. Love God. Love, love your neighbor. Now, let, let me hit my big thoughts as quick as I can. Number one, Christ freed us from the law. Now, when I say freed us from the law, immediately I, even I, and I'm sure you think, well, good, he freed us from something that was bad. But the law wasn't bad. He free, it bound us and restricted us and schooled us, if you will. But it wasn't bad. Let, let me show you what I mean. Romans 7, verse 12, Paul said this, So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The problem is not that the law... Listen, the commandments are this. Thou shalt know the gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee a graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You shall honor your father and mother that you may have long life upon the earth. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt... You understand there's nothing wrong with these laws. They're good laws. Those are good rules. The problem with the law is that we couldn't keep it. The problem with rules is that you and I are notorious rule breakers. The problem with you and I is in our unconverted state, before we are born again, we are slaves to sin, and we can't help breaking the rules. We're rule breakers by nature. We find a rule just to break it. I mean, we live to break rules. The rule breaking is what we do without Christ. But the rules aren't bad. The rules, listen, the law was never a way to be saved. Please listen to what I'm saying. The law was never a system do the rules, offer the sacrifices, heaven is yours. The Bible never says that. The law was never a way to be saved. It was a measuring stick to show you the perfection of God and that you did not measure up to the righteousness of God. The law wasn't a way to be saved. The law was a standard that says, see, you don't measure up. You need outside help. So you need to believe for outside help. Because of the prevalence of so many rules in the Old Testament, many come away thinking that rule following was the way of salvation for the Old Testament people. Let me destroy that myth right now. I'm going to read from Genesis 15, the first book in the Bible, the 15th chapter about the most famous man in the entire Old Testament. In Genesis 15:6, it says, and Abraham, help me with this word right here believed the Lord and God counted it to Abraham as righteousness how did Abraham get saved third word he believed and Paul grabs the book of Romans up and runs with this example right here and builds a whole thesis in the New Testament that salvation is by faith it's always been by faith the difference is one people were looking forward to it we're looking back to it but it's the same Christ that we were looking to they, they, they had a pattern of sacrifice looking for the genuine. We just look back to the genuine and run forward in a new covenant. That's all. That's the only difference. Jesus freed us from the law, the New Testament says. Acts 13, 39. For by Christ, everyone who believes... Watch this recurring theme. Everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed from in the law of Moses... I've been asked before, so are we saved by keeping the law? In one sense, yes. 
Not that you could ever keep it, but that Christ kept it for you. Someone kept it, and that's how you got saved, because the someone who kept it died a substitutionary death for all of us. So yeah, in a sense, you are saved because someone kept the law, just not you and I, that's all. Because we weren't capable of keeping the law. Watch this beautiful passage in the book of Galatians chapter 3. It begins in verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. In other words, if there's a rule we could give, and if you obeyed that rule, you would go to heaven, well then salvation would become through rule keeping. But there's no rule that will get you into heaven. That's what Paul simply saying verse 22 but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise watch how it comes by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who keep the rules no those who believe Uh, there's no promise of heaven by keeping the rules there's a promise of heaven and forgiveness and salvation for those who believe now before faith came we were held captive under the law imprisoned until the coming of faith that would be revealed so then the law was our guardian until christ came the old kjb says schoolmaster to bring us to christ in order that we might be justified by works no by faith but now that faith has come we are no longer under a guardian For in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God. Watch how you got in. Through. Yeah. And you know what Paul talks about in this same book? You're Abraham's sons and heirs according to the promise because you've believed on Jesus Christ. We've all been adopted into one family. Jews, Gentiles, every race, every color, every creed, every language. We've all been adopted into Christ if you've put your faith in in Jesus Christ. Now the world says this, we're all God's children. Kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. That's what the world says. They're close, but just not quite accurate. We're all God's children by faith in Jesus Christ. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Well, then all of you are God's children. Does that make sense? But it doesn't mean everyone's God's children. Today you can be a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And we'll give you an opportunity here in just a moment to pray and receive Him and put your faith in Him. And His righteousness will be credited to your account and you will be adopted into the family of God. They'll sign papers here in just a few minutes. And your name will be inscribed into the family register of Almighty God. Christ freed us from the law. Number two, our goal is Christ's heart. The letter of the law is very harsh. And if you've read the Old Testament... Some of you who are more mature read it all the way through. You know that the law is very harsh. We use this saying, which comes, it's an eye for an eye and a, yeah, see, that's part of our culture. That saying comes from the Old Testament, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It means it's tit for tat, pay them back, you know, it's, it's, it's Elliot Ness. I mean, they, they knife you, you shoot the, I mean, it's, it's, it's pay them right back. It's tough stuff. It's harsh. Let me read you three verses just to set the stage, and I won't read the whole Old Testament. But here's just a sampling. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall die. That's tough. That's tough. Let me read you a verse. If a man lies with a man as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall be put to death. Their blood's upon them. Capital punishment for homosexuality. 
That's tough. Severe. You say, well, praise God, I'm, I'm not one of those kind of people. Okay, well, it'll get you eventually if I keep reading, if you really want me to. Exodus 21, whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Well, it sure weed out the population, wouldn't it? You ever seen a little kid getting disciplined, take a swing at his dad? We could lighten your load really quickly. Do you understand the harshness of the law? That's all I want to illustrate. It's harsh. The recurring theme is capital punishment, capital punishment, capital punishment. Take them out in the street and stone them. Take them out and kill them. So when you're reading the Old Testament, that's what I want you to know. A lot of people say, well, and they'll criticize Christianity by going to the Old Testament. When that happens to you in a conversation, you say, stop. I'm not a Jew. You need to take that up with the, I'm, I'm not part of Judaism. You need to take that up with them. If you want to debate Christianity with me, you need to get over to the New Testament. I live under the New Covenant. Well, they executed homosexuals in the Old Covenant. Yeah, they did. Much of the behavior of the Old Testament we'd find abhorrent today. We'd find abhorrent. They killed men, women, and children. We'd find that abhorrent today. A lot of things that happen over there we would never, ever condone today. You ever find Jesus in the New Testament saying, kill all the homosexuals? No, he'd sit down at the table with them, have a conversation with them. You understand the difference. What I'm saying this morning is Jesus brought us a better way. We want to know what Christianity is about. Open your New Testament and see what Christ modeled. Did Christ ever push a big set of rules onto his disciples? Did Jesus say, blessed are the rule followers for theirs is the kingdom of heaven in the Sermon on the Mount? Absolutely not. Did Jesus say in 1 John, and this is the testimony, he that keeps the rules has eternal life? No. I mean, did Jesus ever say to us, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples? If you keep the rules better than the people around you. No, absolutely not. He never said any of those things. Instead, what he said is, you have the Holy Spirit living in your heart. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Model your life after my life. We live after the Spirit. We do not live after the letter of the law. So we are asking our disciples at Cornerstone not to follow the letter of the law, but to follow the Holy Spirit, follow the leading of the Spirit of Christ that lives in you. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 says this, that God has made us sufficient ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter. And if you read the context, the verses above and below, talking about the law, the letter of the law. We're not enforcing the letter of the law. We're following the Spirit for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Here's our declaration to you and to our community and those who are watching. We're going to love you with the heart of Jesus Christ here at Cornerstone. Yes, we try to live up to a moral code, a biblical moral code. I think that's appropriate for all of us to try to live up to a biblical moral code. But not out of fear of persecution or stoning or, or excommunication or, or, or all of these things. Let me see if I can illustrate the difference between the mindset of the old and the mindset of the new. 
The mindset of the law is when a man says, I don't want to cheat on my wife because she'll get mad at me and divorce me and hate me and I'll suffer. The mindset of the law is I commit a crime and there's a penalty. I don't want to cheat on my wife because she'll divorce me and hate me and leave me and I'll suffer being alone. The mindset of love and gratitude of the New Testament says, I want to be faithful to, to my wife because she is so wonderful and so good to me and I'm so grateful for her that I want to honor her. Do you feel the difference in those two mindsets? I want to tell you too, by the way, the Old Testament saints didn't hate the rules. As a matter of fact, let me give you a quote from the psalmist. These are the songs they sang in church. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. It's a song they used to sing in church in the Old Testament. We love your law. We love the moral code. We love that you have a standard for your people. I try to meditate upon your word and upon your law all the day. Now, when you meet Jesus Christ, you will undoubtedly go through the three G's cycle. Let me explain what that is to you. Everyone who meets Christ goes through this similar process of guilt, grace, and gratitude. When you're confronted with a holy God, your sin will pop out and there it will be right in front of you. And your, your confrontation of your sin will bring guilt. Guilt's not a bad thing if it has good consequences that come from it, by the way. So the next step is Christ will extend grace to you and offer you forgiveness and salvation. If you'll follow him, put your trust in him, believe on him as your savior. And then lastly, you will do your best to obey, not out of fear, but out of the word gratitude. So if you're here this morning, you're like, well, why do we have to keep any rules at all? Not because we have to. That's the whole point. Paul said all things are lawful, but all things are not... You can do whatever you want to do. Cornerstone, you can do whatever you want to do. You're forgiven, you're free in Christ, you've been set free. So why then would I want to keep any rules at all? This last word right here. Not because you're afraid your wife will leave you and you'll have a miserable life. You, You honor her and you keep yourself to her out of gratitude for her. Does that make sense? You obey Christ's word out of gratitude for all that he's done for you. Let me just give you quick examples. My time is about to go. Jesus goes down to Jericho. There's a little tiny man sitting up in a tree named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a crook. Everybody knows he's a crook. He steals money from people. Everybody knows it. Jesus comes into town. He said, I know you're a crook. I know you're hated by your peers. I'm coming to your house for dinner tonight. Now, it doesn't mean anything to you, but what it means in the context of the first century is, I'm going to break bread with you. I'm going to be your friend. I want a personal relationship with you. I accept you. I want you to accept me. Breaking of bread with someone to the Jews is everything about friendship. When he sits at the table with him, he talks to him, and he, he said, I want to transform you. See, you steal from people's Zacchaeus, because you don't love God, and you don't love your neighbor as yourself. You see, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not trying to hit on her wife and steal his car. You don't love God, and you don't love your neighbor, but I want to forgive you, and I want to transform your life. He felt the guilt. 
He received the grace of Jesus Christ sitting right there at his table. No one would ever have done that but Jesus. In just a few moments, he rises from the table out of gratitude. No one told him he had to. But he stood up and he said, if I've taken from any man wrongfully, tomorrow morning I'll go make a withdrawal. And I will pay them back multiple times over for everything I've stolen. Nobody told him he had to do that. He said, then why would he do it? Gratitude for all that Christ had just done for him. You see, one day Jesus in John chapter 4 went down to Sychar after a long journey and sat on the mouth of a well and a woman came out. She had a reputation. Everyone knew who she was. And Jesus begins to talk to her. He's clearly not pleased with her lifestyle. She had had five husbands. He mentions it. Not, not, not to dog on her and not to beat on her, but just to let her know that he knows she's broken the rules. By the way, God does the same thing to you and I all the time. By the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, God's constantly whispering into your ear, into my ear, I see what you're doing. Am I the only one that gets that? No, that's the Holy Spirit reminding you that God sees you breaking the rules. And so God said, I, I know you've broken the rules, ma'am, but I, I don't want to beat on you over that. I want to move this conversation along now. And I, I want you to know that you can find forgiveness and you can find a real relationship with God, not this fake thing you've got going on, this fake worship over here. You can talk a good game, but sister, you're not even saved. You're worthy of salvation. I want to I I save you. I want to change your life. I want to give you an opportunity for forgiveness. She feels the guilt. She receives the grace. And you know what she does out of gratitude? She runs right back into town, and the scripture says she became a missionary to her circle, and many people believed because of the testimony of the woman. She didn't have to go do that. Don't you know they pointed fingers at her and said, you don't have any business talking to us, so you got a bunch of husbands, blah, 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 blah. I'm sure that put her on the spotlight, and she didn't want it. She didn't want her lifestyle being examined, but she could speak of guilt, and she could speak of grace, she could speak of forgiveness, and she went and did it out of gratitude. Can you all bear with me another one or two? Jesus walking down the road. This is the epitome of, of the narratives right here. Jesus minded his own business, and the scripture says one of the most poignant moments happened. They grab a woman and throw her into the street right in front of Jesus, and they say to Jesus, this woman was taken in the very act of adultery. I don't know what your mind pictures, but I've got a vivid imagination. If they ripped her from the bed, I see a woman wrapped in a white bed sheet only thrown into the dirt of the street where rocks are all around. And I see tears pouring down her face because she knows exactly what's happening. A mob is gathering and they're going to execute her because they're under the old covenant. And the old covenant says, I just read it to you. If you commit adultery, capital punishment. She knows she's been caught, she's been set up even, and they've thrown her in the street, the rocks are there, the angry voices are there, and it's all really just a whole incident orchestrated to get Jesus on the record condoning the murder of this woman. That's what it's all about. They want Jesus to get on the record and say, keep the rules, kill the woman. And while they're making their accusation, the Bible says Jesus stooped down and wrote with his finger in the sand... Now, here's the big mystery. No one knows what he wrote. No one knows what he wrote, but I've got a gut. I cannot teach with specificity on this, but I'll tell you what I think he wrote. I think he wrote these words. I just read it to you from the Old Testament a minute ago. 
You shall bring the woman. It's funny how the women always bear the brunt of some of these situations. Harlot, it's the way you dress, it's the way you act. The man goes scot-free all the time. That's got to irritate you women when you look at history. I'm not a woman, it irritates me. It irritated Jesus. He stooped down and rode in the dirt. You see, he knew the law. They were only quoting half of the verse. And so Jesus writes, there's my chalkboard. You want my statement on it? They pressed him. So Jesus finally speaks, and here's what he says. Who here hasn't broken the rules? Who here hasn't broken the rules? Cornerstone, who here hasn't broken the rules? And the scripture says one by one, those men dropped their rocks on the ground, their weapons on the ground, and they sulked away with conviction. When there was no man standing there but Jesus and the woman, he spoke to her and he said, woman, where are your accusers? She said to Jesus, no man doth accuse me, Lord, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Can someone get fired up about that? Because you and I are kneeling side by side in the dirt with our accused sister this morning. And before you get all high and mighty, I've never committed adultery. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, everybody in this room who's post-pubescent has. I've never broken any big rules. Read Matthew 5. Every man and woman in this room has committed adultery by Christ's standard. So you kneel side by side with our accused sister. So when you're reading the new covenant and Jesus says to somebody who's a rule breaker like you and I, there is forgiveness. There is a new start. There is a way forward. Go and sin no more. Oh, so the rules don't apply then. Go and sin. I'm free to go do whatever I want to do. Well, that's why Paul followed up. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? That grace may abound by no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in sin? You say, but we don't have to, do we have to follow the rules, pastor, or not? No, you don't have to. But out of gratitude, I think you're going to want to. Do you understand the new covenant now? Out of gratitude, you're going to want to. We've all broken the rules. Matthew 5, 17 says, Don't think that I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill it. So you say Christ has wiped out the old law. Less, yes, he has. But not, not said, it's bad, throw it away. Instead, what he said, it's good, and I complete it. I fulfilled it. I, I did what you couldn't do. And the fact that Jesus has delivered you from the letter of the law doesn't mean that the moral law doesn't still apply to our lives. It's still in play. So, so uh, uh, Jesus pivots very quickly in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and the Pharisees are thinking, okay, we're good then. But Jesus says this, this I, whosoever relaxes one of the least of these my commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven but whosoever does my commandments and teaches them he shall be great in the kingdom of heaven the rules are still 
moral law still in play? The Pharisees begin to swell with pride because we're the best rule keepers in town. So Jesus very quickly about to kick the props out from under them. Now I'm almost done. So two verses later, listen to what Jesus says. He starts giving examples. The one of adultery that I just gave you and he gives them this one. You've heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. And whosoever murders shall be liable of the judgment. You, you know the law is thou shalt not murder. But Jesus said what God really was trying to say to you is everyone who's angry with his brother, the old KJV, angry without a cause, remember that, shall be liable before the judge. And whosoever insults his brother shall be liable to the council. And whosoever shall say, you fool, shall be liable uh, uh, to hellfire. All right, is anybody nervous right now? I saw a beautiful example this week. Now, have you ever, I thought to myself, have ever, as I was preparing, have you ever been angry without a cause? And I got a little righteous there for a minute, but somebody posted something on Facebook that just cut my legs out from under me. And it was this picture. Somebody posted this picture this week. There's a sign in the window of the car in front. And I want to read you what the person behind this car wrote. As I was pulling into work, I was follow, as I go into work, I was following this car. The sign in the back window said this, learning stick, sorry for the delay. <laughs> Knowing this information, I was very patient with their slow shifting, and honestly, they were doing pretty good for a person learning to drive a stick. And as I was following the car, I asked myself, would I be patient right now if they hadn't had the sign in the window? We don't wear signs that illustrate our personal struggles. You don't see people wearing signs that say, going through a divorce, please be patient with me. Lost my child, please be patient with me. I'm struggling with depression, please be patient with me. I'm having relationship problem, please be patient with me. If we knew what the people around us were going through, we would definitely interact with them in a different way, one that is based in love. But as God's followers, should we have to see signs in order to treat people with love? Whether they deserve it or not, can we not treat them with love? Have you ever been angry without a cause? Since we've all broken that rule and a million others, that's why God said you need outside intervention. That's why he sent his son. Jeremy, come and help me with the invitation. We're, we're ready to wrap. That's why God sent his son in one final substitutionary act, one sacrificial act. God sent his son down because you couldn't keep the law. No one ever could. But we're going to put our faith in Jesus Christ, the one who did 
keep the law and became the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And the Bible says he paid once for all, forever, for the sins of all men and sat down on the right hand of the Father where he makes intercession for us right now. That's why on the cross he could look up and say, Father, it's finished, it's finished, no more sacrifice, it's done. It's all finally been paid for now in my own blood. You want to know who we are here at Cornerstone? We don't operate after the letter of the law. Now, I can help you with moral code. I can give you suggestions. But when you go through our starting point class, like many are doing today, nobody's going to hand you a long set of rules and say, if you keep these, you're going to be, you're going to be in good standing. Listen, if you, if you operate out of the love of Christ and follow the Holy Spirit, we're all going to be in good standing with God and with each other. Amen? We're going to operate out of love. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. This morning, let me challenge you with several things that maybe you're feeling in your heart. If you're living a life displeasing to God, Christian, if you're living a life displeasing to God and you've been breaking the rules and saying, well, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I can break the rules. Maybe this morning that gratitude word is really affecting your heart and you're realizing if your life is not pleasing to God, you should live a life pleasing Him, not because you have to, because you get to, out of gratitude. For all that he's done for you. If there's some things in your life that you know don't please God, why don't you repent of them this morning right where you're sitting? You just cry out to God in a prayer from your heart and say, God, here are the things that I know, I know break some of the moral rules that you have for our lives. And God, I don't have to keep the rules. I get it. But God, I'm under conviction that these things are are, are hindering my growth and hampering my transformation as your disciple God I need to confess this I need to repent and do a 180 and go in a completely different direction this morning God and I say it not because I have to but I say it out of gratitude because I want to please you I'm not not fearful of lightning bolts this morning I want to please you so out of gratitude God I'm going to repent of some things and find my forgiveness. I can tell you, you will find forgiveness. He said, if you'll confess, I will forgive. First John 1. He'll not turn you away if you come to him with an honest heart this morning. Look into your own heart, Christian. Maybe you're sitting here right now and you're saying, well, thank goodness I've never broken any of these big rules. Woo, adultery, murder, hate, and all this stuff. No, maybe your problem is judging everybody around you. One of the biggest sins in all the New Testament is self-righteousness. It's the really, really big sin. It's bigger than anything Jesus judged was these self-righteous people. And if you see yourself superior to everyone around you, morally better, it might be that what's hindering you is a judgmental spirit. Why don't you just cry out to God this morning and say, God, I just tend to judge everybody by these Old Testament rules. Forgive me, I'm not everybody's judge. I'm not, I, I assumed a role that wasn't mine. Forgive me, God. I don't want to be a judgmental person. Forgive me. God, teach me to love people. Teach me to love sinners. 
If you've never received Christ, you just need to slip out of your seat right now while Christians are praying. Just come and find Miss Leah right here on the front row. Lean over and say, pray with me. I need to receive Christ. She'll pray with you right now. You walk out the door with forgiven, forgiven heart, forgiven life. Adopted as a child of God with a whole new start this morning. If you need to be a member of this church, maybe you went through starting point today or in the past and now you're ready to join the team. Just slip out of your seat right now. Come and take your place right here on the front row. Christians all over the house are praying right now. God, you spoke to my heart this morning. I hear what you're saying. God, help me to shift my thinking now and bring it in line with the new covenant. This is us. Let's stand to our feet. Let's go home with the song in our heart. You know who we are. When you know who you are, you know what to do. Love people. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Watch what God's going to open up in your life this week. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you. Lord, as we walk out these doors, here comes the hard part. we got to go live it, Lord. Lord, help us not to judge everyone around us. Lord, if we need to judge someone, let us judge our own self. Lord, let us serve you not out of fear, but out of gratitude of all that you've done in our lives. And God, when we deal with the people who are on the outside in just a few minutes, Lord, let love, let the leading of the Holy Spirit be the guiding force in our life. Father, help us to be like you this week. Lord, we won't see signs on people. But Lord, let us be sensitive and intuitive to what's going on in the lives of people around us. Father, bless these wonderful people as they go to live for you in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. See you next Sunday.